This is a Touchstone Publishers presentation, your trusted source of leadership knowledge. Well, good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so stoked to be here. Well, we're going to have a fun time. There you go. You got frozen there for a second, but we're working, so it works out just fine. Let me turn off one more light here so you can see my eyes just a little bit. Okay, fantastic. So tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Um, just, well, no, I have a better question for you. What is it about you, your company, that people just don't quite understand that might be a good point for them to have? And you froze again on us. Okay, I know she's there. Let's see. Okay, so hey, you know, the rule is we go from start to stop with not with no stopping and start to finish. So um, okay. Don't know why. Let's see here. Hang in there, so. Oops. All righty. All right, should we try this again? Yeah, we won't start all over again because that's the rule, but <laughs> we got you going. So I think, I don't know what happened there, but we will start with my question that I was asking you. I and did also, not hear the question. Because you, you froze and I said, wait a minute, she's not hearing because she's not moving. Then I saw that you, you had frozen, so. All right, so my question to you is simple. Not so simple, but it's my question. What is it about you or your organization and company that most people just don't understand or they miss or you think they really should hear about? I think the thing that is difficult to understand is how reliable and essential intuitive guidance is. Intuitive guidance seems to be uh, the province of, of women when actually it's our deeper wisdom that both men and women share. So the way that I coach my, my leaders and my transformational coaches, because I work with two different groups of people, is to get out of the way of the guidance that I'm uh, fortunate enough to be in touch with and reflect back to them their blind spots or perhaps deep knowledge that they needed reassurance or affirmation about oh but you know stepping out of the way of that guidance has always been my challenge um, mm. and i have to wonder how do you as a expert step out the way to allow that person to reflect back to themselves i know that's a 10-hour question <laughs> is there a way that you can make it easy for the step back? I mean, breathing, or is there anything like that that we can do to help us step back from that? Yes, so there's a couple of, there's a couple of things that everybody can do. And, you know, I come from a mind-body background. I was a therapeutic yoga master instructor, so I certified teachers. And uh, I, I find that meditation in general has this sort of air about it that is unfortunate because it, it keeps people from appreciating what's really going on. And because I only work in evidence-based practices, what's really going on in meditation is what we call attentional control or attentional direction. It's a focus tool. That's all it is. In addition to focusing, you put your body in the most 
neurologically organized state it could be in. It's called coherence. People who are familiar with the HeartMath Institute know about coherence. It's where you essentially get your heart and your mind aligned on the same frequency. You calm the body down and put it into rest and digest, which is what we call parasympathetic dominance. From this place, your ability to receive deep wisdom. Uh, okay, so let me just put it for, for all the male listeners who don't identify with intuition. It's your gut instincts, right? So that's a little bit more uh, of like uh, uh, the masculine approach. It's your gut. You're able to hear it and trust it because you are in such a, a calm, receptive state. That's how that's how we get get that information to come forth. Sometimes it's just a whisper. So we need to quiet our own minds by focusing our attention. And one of the ways that I teach people to do this is a nervous system hack. And generally, I, I don't believe in hacking. I go deep. I go deep fast with my with all of my clients. Right, right. But this particular, you know, sometimes it's easy to have a little shortcut. The shortcut here, and follow along, just see, see how it goes here. Just take a deep breath and notice what's moving in your body. Right, when you take a deep breath, you can watch your shoulders move. That is an incomplete breath, and it's also in the fight or flight region. It's in the chest. This is how we breathe normally every day, shallow chest breathing. Right. Okay. This is not going to help matters much. However, if you can just keep your shoulders still and take a breath, notice where your breath goes in your body. So I'm making my breath. Flex, yeah. It goes down. Yeah. That's how we hack the nervous system. This is how we induce a state of calm by consciously choosing our breath. This also instantly connects the mind-body relationship and allows people to be present. And it is this presence that is the foundational piece of, of receiving, getting out of the way, if you will, receiving these impulses, these informational impulses. You can call it gut instinct, you call it intuition. It's all out there, it's ready to be received. We need to be receptive. So we need to get out of the way, calm the body, calm the mind, focus the mind so that that information can come up to the surface and be received. Okay, so I noticed that you drew the distinction between men and women. And that's more of a cultural thing, you think? Just more, or is it, it doesn't have anything to do with the physiology or anything like that. It's just a cultural difference. Correct. Now, there is this fascinating, I'm so glad you asked this. I read this fascinating study. It was a Harvard business study. And uh, in the study, they were trying to determine, and this is, the study was all about intuition between the genders in a business setting. Because women tend to be more what we call uh, socially sensitive. And that's one of the ways that, uh, you know, we're wired. It's true. Men, however, if you think about military, police, spidey senses, it's the mm, same thing. Same thing. And these men are ninjas with this intuition. They know immediately. Firemen, when I worked as a firefighter, a, a, a seasoned fire captain can go in and be like, everybody out. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know it's not good. Everybody out. This is intuition at work. So for businessmen who aren't in, who, whose lives aren't at stake, necessarily their their physical bodies only their professional lives yes yes they yes, yes. they tend to be more data driven so the the study was this they had men and women pair up and 
in one instance, the male was the leader and the female was a subordinate. And in another instance, they switched it so the female was in the leadership position and the male was in the subordinate position. And what they found was that was all it took for the, the male to access and use intuition just like that. Because it's not, you don't have to develop the sense. The only thing you need to develop is your awareness and sensitivity to it. Men have been taught to desensitize themselves to their their gut instincts, right? Uh, unless your life's at stake, and then it becomes a a professional skill set, a soft skill set. So, what was amazing, Glenn, was every time a male was put in the role of subordinate, these soft skills came out of nowhere, and the determination was that intuition is not the providence of women. Intuition is the providence of subordinates. And in our culture, women are still primarily culturally conditioned to be subordinate, which is why our intuition is so clear to us. And that's just because we, we've kept women in that position. And so they're able to do it more. I think it's always kind of it's unique that you're saying that if you put a man in a subordinate position, he's going to start to rely on that a bit more. Um, yeah. subordinate to a woman, not necessarily to another man. Well, here's the thing. If you take the gender out of it, subordinate leader, whoever's in the subordinate role is it's in their best interest to anticipate that, which is done through social sensitivity, the needs of the person to whom oh. they do you get this, yes, right? So this yes. is an anticipation exercise. It's social sensitivity. If you are in, if you are in the position of, of uh, being a subordinate to a particular person, you're going to read their mood when they come in. You're going to feel, you're going to look at their body language. You're not even aware that you're doing it, but this is what subordinates do when they are in service to a, a person in a leadership role. And the gender doesn't matter. The gender doesn't matter because really what it is, becomes is a survival mechanism so that you can yes. um, keep the job or uh, keep the money flowing in. It becomes a survival mechanism so that your instincts will come up. Now, we may not label them that way, Right. So I have uh, mean that we've been talking about this in our pre-show, but I've discovered unbreakable women. Yes. Okay. And that is an area where you talk about the compassion. Mm. Okay. And that gives women a head start on men. Am I reading that right? Kind of. Now, when you say head start, I'm really curious what you mean. Can you be more specific? Uh, head start and better connect with, okay, I'm going to be specific. Yes. A head start, I'm being able to connect with the universal knowledge, um, to your instinct, being able to pull from walking in a room and seeing moods without people actually saying anything and being aware of those moods. Yes. Uh, and again, this is a cultural condi conditioning piece. Both men and women are capable of what you just said. The difference yeah. is compassion, humanity, sensitivity has been conditioned out of Men, men are not taught to value those things. And the unfortunate piece of that is all men are these are human, beautiful humanity. There's nothing stronger than a man who has the courage to feel in front of others, hmm. AKA vulnerability. And I'm not talking about breaking down and crying in front of your team. That's not what I'm talking about. Exposing your humanity makes you a more accessible and influential leader, period. 
This is empirically proven. This is, this is not my opinion. So, uh, I mean, Brene Brown has built quite an empire (laughs) on this this fact, right? So this is what we call heart-centered leadership, right? So women are considered the nurturers. I got to tell you though, listen, I live in West Seattle. I've Mm. never, this is daddy town. I have never seen so many dudes. And I'm not talking about like daddies. I'm talking about dudes, tatted up, cap wearing, Mm. you know, cigarettes in the back, back with, with the baby Bjorn dudes wow. with babies. And I, you can see that you can see their humanity. You can see their sensitivity. You can see how much they care for their children and it doesn't make them appear weak. It makes them appear awesome and powerful that they can nurture their babies. Right. This right, is not a, right. this is not a female attribute. It's just that men have been taught. It is not safe to have compassion. It is not safe to feel. So when I wrote compassionate self-defense, it was mainly to help women see that they don't need to learn to fight like men in order to be safe in the world. That's completely unnecessary. It's all of their soft skills. Their, uh, it, was a, it was essentially two things, an advanced situational awareness manual, uh, compassionate, self and the, uh, compassionate Self-Defense and Empowerment, the book that I wrote. Mm-hmm. It was a manual with tons of research, right? Like I said, evidence-based is the way to go for me. I'm very left brain. I'm a tactician. And I feel like if I don't present the evidence, it's it, it's not going to be believed or you know executed. Yes, yes. So I help women see the science of intuition, help them understand where these intuitive signals are coming from, help them trust when they come in, especially if they're subtle, because some of them are easy to miss and they're always missed, and then help them, give them permission to speak up for themselves. Because sometimes, you know, these the, the criminals, and I would like to point out here, the first thing that I say in my book is there will be no man bashing. There are so many men whose entire lives are dedicated to the safety and equity of women. And mm. it's very important that women see that and that we don't allow ourselves to be fooled by the dehumanization that's going on in the media. Okay. Right? Yes. Yeah. That's the compassion piece. These men are walking wounded and they were not born this way. Something went down in their childhoods and they are in pain. That's who's doing these crimes. And it's like 10% of men, 90% of men are not on the radar because they're awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the media makes money. So we won't go down that road. But We're not going to go down that road. That's a whole different <laughs> but, podcast. Like, and I think that's a, a very powerful spot to start with though, to think about, okay, we're not bashing anybody. Mm-mm. Okay. And especially that small minority that's getting the news headlines. Okay. Yeah. We're not bashing those. Um, what we're talking about though is a balance yeah. okay now i was uh by the way i spent yesterday at the best university in the world um getting ready for the fall so we can disclose that later on what that best university is i, I didn't realize that when we talked the other day that you went there as well so Indeed. um that's why i'm maybe, smiling like this yeah it's, it's, it's <laughs> i was so impressed with the uh don't want to call out his title without his permission, but he's a big mucky muck in the arts and science. Mm. I was so impressed with the amount of programs that they're running to help us balance out yeah. uh, his ability to connect with instinctual work, his, uh, the things that he wants, the deans are doing at different schools. It's powerful. And when we forget that and just focus on that 10%, which is good about what you're doing. 
I want to ask you a little bit more about your book. Tell us the title again and then how it fits into your current work. Okay. So the title is Unbreakable Woman. That was the program. That was my signature mm -hmm. program at the time. Compassionate Self-Defense and Empowerment. I started first providing evidence-based approach to using instincts, to using intuition in order to stay safe because I, I felt like the women's empowerment piece I wanted to participate in that in a very conscious way. So mm -hmm. it was my mm -hmm. first attempt to bring conscious, deliberate living to the self-defense space, which was very disruptive. People are just like, I just want to learn to punch and kick. I'm like, I don't think you get it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't get it. I'm like, let me tell you, I worked on an ambulance for seven years. Yes. You don't want to fight, ladies. It doesn't look like the movies. If you've ever been in a scuffle, it's ugly, it's sloppy, everybody gets hurt always. You don't yeah. want to get in a physical altercation. Trust me. So, you know, part of it is there's this romance about feeling powerful, mm -hmm. feeling powerful through physical uh, violence, meeting violence with violence versus being powerful and the violence doesn't happen. It was about being. It was sort of the entry level of deliberate conscious level and being authentically powerful. I'm starting to see that now, starting to see where you're going with that. Because what we're saying is that, well, maybe I'm not, because in a way I'm saying, okay, silence is power. Yes. Attacking is displaying your weakness. Correct. Well, it's two weak people scrapping. And I, I want to, I want to, I want to tell you a really quick story. Yes. So in all of my days, I was very hypervigilant mm -hmm. and nobody ever messed with me because I carried myself like, uh, I was ready to fight because I was afraid that I didn't have the power. It was my fear that created the hypervigilance that drove me to write the book. That was the book I wanted to read when I was afraid to walk across campus. That's yeah, actually okay. the origin yeah. of the book. I was, it? It? it is. I was walking across campus because I would go to the free weight room and lift like a maniac until it closed at like 10 o'clock at night. And then walk across campus, a dark campus, well, lit as best as they could. Yeah. Uh, th this is back in the 80s, right? right and right. Um, I was afraid. So I really would have loved to have had that book. I would have loved to have had that information. It would have helped me feel safer. So that's why I wrote the book. It was for me. Now, I never, ever got into a situation where someone mm -hmm. physically threatened me the entire time. I never had that story to tell. And then I started getting into the work I'm doing now. And I had this meditation that was awful. And oh. this will answer your question. I was frustrated. I, I, I couldn't, I've been meditating for 20 years. And in this meditation, somehow I'm like, my God, I can't even, I can't control my thoughts. And then I started to, to judge myself. Then I got frustrated that I was judging myself. The whole thing just started to spiral. And in that moment, a mm. voice said to me, you're, ex you're just doing it exactly right. And I, it was like, oh my higher self saying, that's right, kiddo. This is exactly the meditation you're supposed to have right now. And this flood of, of self-acceptance just knocked me into a puddle of tears. And I'm just like, yes. self-acceptance yeah. for the very first time in my life. And I felt this connection to something larger than myself, to my source, to, to my higher self. And I felt wholeness for the first time in my entire life. And I went for a run because I was so full of energy. I went for a run in the woods mm -hmm. and I noticed this guy who was walking out of the trailhead as I was walking in and he asked me, he was, he was kind of cursing and being weird, but I'm like, whatever. I say hello to everybody. 
Shit. I'm like, hey, and he goes, as I'm running by, he asks me, are you in special forces? As I'm running by, I'm like, what a weird question. Yeah. And I said, not today. <laughs> My yeah. intuition spat that out. I didn't think about it. And intuition's beyond cognition. And then I got this flood of information. If I see that guy, like if, if I'm in a physical altercation, I already know my move. I always high five to the face. That's the move. It's it's not lethal. It it, it just it distracts him so I can run away. Uh, and all this information started coming to me intuitively. I'm like, why am I getting information about a physical altercation in the woods right now? And then I kept getting this thing like, if you see him again, engage. If you see him again, now he was walking away. Mm -hmm. I ran mm -hmm. for 40 minutes and as I was coming out of the trailhead, sitting on a bench was him. Bruh. He waited for me. Uh -oh. Yeah. And I got the intuition. I heard from source. You can call it God if you want engage. So I brought to him this wholeness, this self love, this, reverence for life that I had just experienced in the meditation. I brought all that energy to bear, not a shred of fear, nothing but love for myself. And I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Right. Just, I kept my distance. Like I got about 10 feet from him. I'm not stupid. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, full of yeah. love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Make sure there's right? room to react. Yes. Room, yeah. room to react if I need to. Cause I really didn't feel the need. I did not feel afraid of him. And he's, he was very, very creepy. And he unzipped his jacket and he said, I wrote a song for you. You can't make oh. this stuff up, Glenn. He said, I wrote a song for you. And he reaches in and gets out his harmonica. He says, do you want to hear it? I said, of course I want to hear it. I'm so excited you wrote a song for me. What's it called? And he says, Rape Whistle. Now, what man says to a strange woman in a secluded trail rape a man whistle who is about to get hurt a, a man who is trying to figure out whether or not the person in front of him is going to be a good victim right i know all this not intellectually because of the work i did for the past decade and i got to tell you it never got close to me it never made me nervous i was so full of love i was so full of god in that moment I listened to him, quite a good harmonica player, by the way. Oh. And when he was done, I said, thank you so much for that. And he's like, he did not, there was a, I wish this was a movie. If you could have felt the tension between him doing his thing and me standing there listening to it, it, it took about three hours, even though it took about five seconds. Yeah, I felt that way, didn't it? Yeah. It did, because yeah. I'm like listening and, and still, full of, still full of all the love. And... I said, you know, it, it, I said, thank you for that. And he said, I come here a lot. I said, well, I'm sure this forest, because I was like one with everything in the moment. I'm mm -hmm. sure this forest appreciates your gifts, appreciates your music. Trees love it. This forest loves you. And I said, well, listen, I'm going to get going. And I turned my back to him and I walked past him. And he said, God bless you. And I turned to him with my entire heart. And I said, God bless you. See, I think if we just unpack that just for a second, it's real, real short, 
unpacking, I think, mm. trust yourself. Mm -hmm. You had the built up the meditation, the, the uh, smackdown, everything that you had to smack yourself down and say, hey, it's okay. Okay, I'm right. You know, someone, the voice that tell you they had the good, long, powerful run, more meditation, and you got back to the point and you said, well, I can trust myself here. I trust what I've been led to do. And that is hard to do. No. I just, Glenn, I got to tell you, it never ever in my wildest dreams would have occurred to me that the moment I let go of Unbreakable Woman, I get an Unbreakable Woman story. Yes. And it really was love. I felt love for that man. I felt his inner little boy. I felt love for him and I gave it to him. And I'm not suggesting that women walk, that we all walk around. And be, well, actually I am. Love does heal all. He has never been looked at like a human because he's creepy and he's trying to hurt people. And, right. and right. yet I sat, I was just so full of the light that it never dawned on me to do anything other than I did. There wasn't a moment where I got scared or anything. I'm just like, this whole thing is being handled by something so much larger than me. We met on purpose for me to see how powerful love is and for him to experience his own humanity. You know, there's something that is missing but not missing. Mm. And I want you to tell me if how far off track you think I am or how it plays here. But does it come also down to asking better questions? 100%. That's how I get it done with my clients. It's always questions, always. Okay, okay. Because, I mean, in this particular gentleman's case, a better question would be what happened to you as a boy. Exactly right. That's a question to ask any single time. Every time there's some crazy story, some, you know, you know, the kind of stories that I mean, nobody mm -hmm. ever, if that story were followed up and they went into that criminal's history, they would see a scared, broken boy who was either abused himself or witnessed horrific abuse. That's how these people get built. They are built. They are not born. You know, I was in a discussion uh, about the generation behind us, two generations behind us. Mm. And we got, the, the, you know, the other gentleman was really adamant that this was this a horrible generation. I said, well, if it is, it's our fault because we're the ones that allowed them to play these horrific video games where it's just blood and guts all over the place. Yeah. That is that, would you consider that a better question? I mean, we got the, is that the reason why it's kind of tough? Because of, <laughs> Well, you know, I think video games definitely desensitize, okay. but millions of, of young men play video games and never hurt anybody. I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to go political here, but if you think about it, how can someone get on television and say the horrible, filthy things they said about women and yet 70 million people vote for them, 30 of which were women? How, how can, yeah, how, they, how can think, they? Yeah, they were desensitized to that type of treatment of women? I think that, all right, so, oh, I love this question. How can that happen, you ask? Here's, yeah. here's what I believe. I believe that the only thing that mattered to certain people, people who were so fearful of the other, 
people who were deeply racist, deeply fearful of people different than themselves, who have been taught that people different from themselves don't belong in this country. Never mind, it was built by all these people. Yes. They have been called. They they have been taught that people different from them don't belong here, and they're ruining everything, and they're committing all the crimes, and stealing all the jobs, and doing all the things. People who hold those values dear to them were finally met with someone in the presidential election who said, "You're absolutely right. You get to think that way. Not only that." You should not be ashamed. It's okay. It's true. They were so excited to finally have permission to feel good about those values that everything mm. else paled. Nothing else mattered because racist people, uh, the inequities are deep between the genders and the ethnic and the ethnicities. And, yeah. and those people were so desperate, especially after eight years with a president that scared them and triggered them. And it, have, yeah. you know what I, I mean? And it, I, gotta, I gotta tell you, Glenn, you and I, because we share mm -hmm. the same political values, we got a heaping serving of empathy because the way we felt, not my president, was exactly what they felt for eight years. And I don't, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying, wow, I got, I got it. I yeah, know exactly I, how yeah, they how, feel. How you're feeling, how you're feeling. <laughs> We're gonna have to have a, a podcast on this. You and I probably should co-host this one because that's the subject, but I'm yeah. gonna say this and then we're gonna move off of it okay, because okay. George Wallace was the same way, and he had no hopes of becoming president of the United States in those days. No hopes, because mm. people, most people, weren't going to accept that. I'm going to have to be desensitized enough where people could accept that. George Wallace had the exact same message, mm. and he ended up getting shot because that exact same message didn't resonate. We weren't. I mean, yeah, stuff was happening, and we saw it, and they finally got the national coverage of the bridge bridge crossing. Yeah, it didn't matter what George Wallace said people's empathy jumped up but george wallace preached that exact same story and had no hope but anyway that brings me to uh a question that i had this came up after our pre-talk mm. and then i saw that you were doing this type of work so i want to ask you about this how do we reshape our culture that's what we're kind of talking about right now yes how do we reshape our culture this is in your area it is my area this okay. is what i love to do so there's there's two different ways I'm going to say there's three things. I'm going to be very bold and say there's three ways. Okay. Number one, we must reshape ourselves. Mm -hmm. We must be willing to take radical personal accountability for all of the things we have been taught, for all the things that have been normalized and recognize whether or not those values contribute to a kind and equitable world culture, a society. We have to do that individually first, personal accountability for how we are interacting with our brothers and sisters, how, what we are consuming, whose products we buy is, uh, is, a, is a contribution to something. The companies we support, right? The media that we choose, 
the books that we read, the magazines we consume, all of it, we are contributing to different frequencies. So uh, the first, it starts with the, every individual being very conscious and deliberate in who they spend their money with because money talks. So that's number one. Number two. Wow. Wow. All right. Yeah. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> no, I, I kind of hadn't thought about it before. I mean, okay. I've made conscious decision personally not to spend money with certain airlines or certain hotel chains or certain things just based upon some of their decisions that they've made. Mm -hmm. That's right. But as a nation, even if only 15% of us decided, okay, this particular company we're not going to do business with because of that policy. That's right. That company would change the policy. Yes, they would. And this is what people don't understand. Watch the movie Ants, folks. Watch the movie Ants. Spell that. I mean, A-N-T-S. It is a, I believe it's a Pixar movie. It's a oh, cartoon. Okay. It's about yeah, the ants yeah, and the grasshoppers. Yeah, I remember. Okay, yeah. And yeah. It's That's a wonderful a parable. It That's, is a modern day parable. It's a good movie, actually. It is indeed. So I love the, uh, I mean, so thank you. Yes. Thank you for putting that up there. We all have a responsibility. And if, if companies ever had their, well, here's the thing people want their, most people aren't that engaged in what companies are doing. They don't care. Like they just want their stuff. So the more people begin to pivot off of that reality and move into more of a, well, this company has 12 lawsuits against their employees, men and women for unfair practices, for un un unequal pay, harassment, la, la, la. And this company that offers the exact same thing treats their employees well. I'm going to support them and their culture. You see? So we have an opportunity to vote. Now, the second piece of this, and this is where, uh, where I like to work with leaders, are the culture makers themselves. I used to have an expression when I was working as a Fortune 500 consultant, um, an ounce of CEO prevention is worth a pound of HR. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's one of those phrases I think I told you about that people should be writing that down. Should definitely write that down. And uh, right. because trademark Barclay yeah. 2021. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. P.S. I, I, with very rare exception, I, I could not get arrested because uh, you know, I mean, like I, they wanted the women's empowerment stuff, but when it came to, to changing the culture from the top to prevent the stuff they had me there to, to help with, it was crickets. And there are CEOs and VP suites and C-suites that actually are open to this, that are open to being open. And these are the people, pretty soon they're going to find out that the way they're doing things is not sustainable for two reasons. One, people are going to start voting more with their, with their money. And number two, the vast majority of employees coming into the workforce, and I think in just a few years, it's going to be something like 75% of them, they're millennials. Yes. And, and guess what millennials care about? They, they care about your why. 
They mm. care about company values and they are not uh, long-term employees if they don't feel like they can care about what they're doing. Let me ask you because millennials, I believe, spend more time collaborating than competing. I would agree with that. So if they're spending that time collaborating, they're going to look at an organization that is a collaborative, peaceful environment versus one that's competing to knock you down. Mm-hmm. And they're also saying that millennials will be the largest part of the workforce by 2024. That's what I heard. Okay, you and I got that same statistic, 2024, yeah. just a couple of years. That's right. Is that what it's going to take to reshape the culture? We can't wait that long, though. Oh, but sure we can. Sure we I mean, we're going to, but we're I mean, gonna. <laughs> I'm wondering how much can we reshape it now? But you probably get to, you had three three things you want to talk to about. You know, you want to address it on how so, we change or reshape this. You need to. Well, there's a couple of like some things could happen instantaneously. Mm-hmm. All right, let's just say I'm going to throw something very wild out there just for context. Just for context, if there was an alien visitation that was very public very peaceful, our -hmm. culture would be shaped instantaneously. Yes. Yes. So you want to change it quick An alien visitation would do something like that. I'm just, just, just for, just, you know, for, for frame of reference here. Yeah. Yeah. An attack upon the entire world. It would absolutely. Now, now what we're talking about here is uh, generational and ancestral DNA, right? It takes time to, uh, now we can get some quantum leaping that, that can occur, However, when there is so much resistance to the change, the quantum leap is oftentimes difficult. So it seems to me that we're going to have to be very Newtonian about how we reshape our culture until we have a massive paradigm shifting event occur, right? Until then, one, we have our our, our radical personal accountability. Two, we have the uh, culture culture makers themselves being more and more open to being open because their workforce mm. will disappear and they cannot maintain their uh, shareholders track without employees. Right. They will have an economic imperative to shift their thinking and money talks at that level. So that's another way. And the third way, and this is going to sound a little maudlin, forgive me, the old guard will die and take their ways with them. Yes. It's just, you know, I'm going to die and take my ways with me, right? So we are evolving. My, I tell you who's going to save, save it all. I think my daughter's generation, she's nine, and she goes to school with kids every color. They just haven't learned that's not, that's not normal. And they, we, they even have a, a child... <clears throat> Who, who's nonverbal and he comes in in this, he's got like two aides with him and he's got like a Stephen Hawking thing yeah. where everybody, and they go and they talk to him and they have the best time. Like they had a birthday party for him and everybody knows like sometimes you talk to people who have those. There's yeah. just no, they haven't learned the difference about differences yet. And in fact, my daughter is, she, and she's, and I adopted her. She's mm-hmm. a little Pacific Island girl, right? Yeah, so right. Uh-huh. She, my daughter is not white. And people never like blink that I'm her mom. Like they just assume like I have a dark skinned father, right? They just assume. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's all good in the hood. So I believe these three components are going to create a critical mass. 
And everybody likes to complain about the millennials. The millennials mm -hmm. may be the very thing that convinced these hard boiled sociopathic because they've been taught they have to be right. C sweet. Uh, sociopathy is learned by the way. These are not people who are going out committing crimes. So sociopathy is a natural part of making big decisions where you cannot care about how yeah. it affects people. Right. So it's, I don't mean to say sociopathic in a criminal way here. So please don't misunderstand. Uh, but these people who are like so entrenched in their culture and be like, Oh, good old boy, cigar smoking. And these little baristas, <laughs> these yeah. kids, these kids yeah. are going to come in and just be like, I don't care if you're the CEO. What's this company stand for? If you want me to be here, make yeah. it fun for me. They say, make it, yeah, make, make it work for me. Think so about the, think about that. I could get my wife. Think yeah. about the irony here, Glenn. Nothing yes, can change these these the minds of these billionaires, except for these really sort of high maintenance, low resiliency kids. Because you know what? If they they have no problem leaving, they don't because there's no in my mind there is no loyalty on either side. No. Okay. I mean, yeah. I look at companies like AT and T. You no, know, at one time that was supposed to be around forever. Mm, okay, <clears> look <throat> where they are now. Uh, based on, even after all that. Um, so I see the three areas you're pointing at, Yes. but I want to go back to that very first one, accountability. Yes. And you talk about this too, and that's your ability to create your own reality. What do you mean? I mean, we are creators, every single one of us. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the metaphysics of this. As I understand, as, as I understand it at the, my current level of consciousness, mm -hmm. we are living in a mental construct. And we are nothing but energy and everything around us is energy. So our minds have an organizing effect. Anything that is we believe will be shown to be true in our reality. A perfect example of this is people who believe in evil and demons. They see it everywhere. They just see evil. They just see all this, this uh, darkness perpetrated to, on people and they're very, very afraid. People who see angels and believe that people are basically good. Well, imagine their life. They're, they're seeing like random acts of kindness. They're, they're seeing people support each other. They're seeing humanity around them because of what they believe. The mind has an organizing effect. You will live the life you believe you should be living. You will live the life you believe you deserve. And we have a crisis of worthiness in this world. When you feel worthy of a good life, you will have it. When you feel you are not lovable, not worthy, even though you talk about it, if you truly don't believe that it's yours, that you can have it, that you can create it, then you will be right. Whatever you believe, you will be right. Now, the good news is beliefs are nothing more than a repetitive thought that, that neurologically, this is where yeah. the neural facilitation piece of what I do comes in. Yeah. A belief is a thought that has been repeated until it has been surrendered to and accepted as fact. And we have seen this, you know, speaking of, of the presidency and the media, we've seen this happen in the last decade. I grew up in the Walter Cron Cronkite era. Yeah. Yeah. So watching what's happened to media has been astonishing to me. And if you repeat something enough times, people will believe it to be true. People believe it, yes. That's how beliefs get made. And the good news is you can undo those beliefs and make new beliefs anytime. The brain is, the brain is just plastic. Neuroplasticity is, is how we continue to grow and create new neural pathways 
so that we can change what, how we live. This is why my clients have such powerful experiences with me because of what we're talking about right now. We create the reality we want. And if you don't like what you're creating, get with somebody who knows how to help you change what you believe and then start working that practice and create a new life. And my clients have gone on to do remarkable things in just 90 days, some of them. In two weeks, some of them, just complete flips. So everything that we have been taught to believe comes from our family of origin and some experiences in our formative years, but predominantly our family of origin. So there's all of this ancestry. And by the way, behaviors are on our DNA. Hmm. Ah, here's something I would like to yeah. give you. Do you yeah. know about the, the rose water experiment with the mice? No. Okay. This is the thing that people don't realize. One, epigenetics. This means you can change your DNA. DNA is very influenceable. Now, by that, I, I don't mean if you want to be 10 feet tall, but you are an Eastern European person like myself, I'm not going to grow any taller than I am. However, mm. behavioral affinity, this is completely malleable within our DNA. And what I mean by that is, an experiment was done with was done with mice, where uh, the mice were put it, had uh, rose water, a little rose water, uh, floated into their cage, and when when it came in, a little shot came to the floor, which was startling to them. So they now began to associate the rose water with the shock. They went through a uh, a generation, a new generation. So they did this with a pregnant female. When her babies were born and they were old enough to walk around the cage. When they put rose water in the cage, what they do you reacted. think the little babies did? They, they react. reacted. They reacted. That behavior, that survival was programmed through DNA and passed to, in one generation, I believe, passed to the kids. This wow. is how alcoholism, This is. it's all just behavior. It's carried on our genes because behavior comes from thought. It comes from feeling thought and feeling have a frequency that frequency gets encoded into our dna that frequency can be changed okay that makes sense in a very deep way also not just behavior but health 100 percent. like you know me i'm a cancer survivor oh we mm -hmm. talked about this right yes. yeah and i came to understand holy crap i had the power to make myself sick they know what that means yeah, you have the power I to make yourself well. Yeah, a hundred percent, I do, and I've seen in the Dr. Joe Dispenza community thousands of people who have had miraculous healings. Ain't no miracle. They no. believe they can do it, and they do. Fourth stage cancers, and the doctors are throwing their hands up, saying, "I don't even know what to put on your. I don't know what to put on your 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 documents. Your cancer's gone." We don't know what to do. Like, they don't know what to do. The medical community doesn't know what to do with this. And they keep saying, eh, it's anecdotal. It's anecdotal. But eventually, when you have millions of people who have done this, now you have some statistics that bear <laughs> research, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, like I told my doctor, I don't even bother telling me the numbers because I'm not a number. That's right. I, I, I don't, it doesn't apply to me. That's what yeah. I told my oncologist, like yeah. literally just a couple of days ago, did you get your flu shot? I mean, I'm going to get a COVID shot. Don't get me wrong. But um, when, for flu shots, I'm like, nah, flu doesn't apply to me. I don't get sick. And yeah. I don't. Yeah, It's funny. I wasn't going to get a flu shot. I have never gotten. Now the vaccine I did get, but yeah. the flu shot I've never gotten because it just doesn't make sense to me. And I don't get sick. 
I mean, I just don't get the flu. I mean, yeah, this is different, but it's I don't get the flu. I think that what you're saying is gets encoded, but can be recoded by you. Correct. And I want to ask you, because you're, you're saying it's a thought, but aren't these thoughts habits that you have to, I mean, your, your thoughts build your belief, but these habits build your belief. Habits are reinforcers. Okay. That's the other side. They reinforce those thoughts. Okay. That's right. And, and most thoughts are, are reaffirming. So any thought that, so thoughts, oh, do you get what, so thoughts are usually reaffirming your beliefs and there's something called a, a confirmation bias and people will look for confirmation in their environment. So they feel correct. So they feel like, no, this belief is correct. Like this is, you know, you, we saw this on a national scale with Donald Trump. He was an affirmation that racist is, racism is okay. I've been thinking these thoughts for generations. Racism, and here comes this. Sexism, all that is okay. Do you and see? He reinforced that it's okay. Like, oh, finally. I'm so relieved. It's okay yeah. to be ignorant. Oh, thank God. Yeah. I said <laughs> it. And he said it first, loudest, and the most. That's right. And I've been living with shame for, for so long. And this man has basically given me the relief. I don't have to feel guilt or shame. Of course they, of course they did. Because nobody taught them anything different. And that doesn't mean that you, that you don't have the responsibility to wake up. It doesn't mean that. I don't condone it. Ignorance no. is a choice. We have Google, people. Ignorance is a choice. Everybody needs to know this. 100% ignorance yeah. is a choice. And if you choose to be ignorant, own it. Now, there's a cartoon out, Calvin and Hobbes, and they're in... I used to use it at the start of my um, workshops. And Calvin was all upset. He's in a classroom. And Hobbes said, I'd rather be here than to be ignorant. I mean, the, I think that's so powerful. I'd rather be here than to be an ignorant person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, we'll get there. Like I said, those three changes will get there. Um, I like that. I think we're looking at, I'm going to push it out a little bit to a bit of a grander scheme, though, real quick. Then I've got another question for you to kind of be respectful of your time and get you wrapped up here a little bit, but, and I just lost that question. <laughs> I could talk to you for an hour. If I didn't have, if I didn't have a meeting, I would just be like, keep talking to you. Yeah. We, we could, I mean, there's so much more and we're, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, we're going to, we're going to do this again because there's a lot of things left to be unwrapped. So since I lost the question, let me go to this question right here. Okay. I want you to inspire us now. Tell us a couple things. Number one, we're going to go back to your book because that's inspirational, powerful book. But what other books have you, would you recommend that might help support your book? Okay. Oh my goodness. So that book was, mm -hmm. I wrote that in 2013 and Time it was my first at bat. Yeah. And because I thought, here's the bottom line. Nobody's trying to be conscious or meditate if they don't feel safe, if their basic hierarchy, Maslow's hierarchy of needs are not being met, they are not trying to meditate, right? Like, and this is the thing really? is that, yeah, people feel that they will have prosperity mindset once the money comes. And that's not how it works, folks. No, so when you meditate or if you just sit quietly and do this breathing, 
and feel how amazing it is to have the things that you want because you can't want what you already have. I'm going to say that again. You can't want what you already have. So when you bring about in your imagination, which is real, your brain, it's real according to your brain. Your brain does not know the difference between an imagined experience and a had experience. So the way that we create the reality that we want is through imagination and feeling. And the feeling is probably more important than anything because that's the language of the universe. Universe can't be bothered to learn our language. That's why if you keep saying what you don't want, all the universe knows is there's a lot of emotion here. There's a lot of focus here. You clearly feeling. want this thing. Yeah, it delivers what you're feeling. The, yes, yes. Okay, see, we're in so much agreement. That, we use different words, but that's really powerful. I think the universe communicates to you on a vibrational level. Yes. And your feelings are vibration. Indeed, very powerful vi vibration. And when you have something to learn, the universe communicates it to you vibrationally, and then you translate it if you allow it. Indeed, that's part of what intuition is. Yeah, I, I think so. First thing, 2013, that's a long time. You got two more books in you that are now overdue. Okay? At least, overdue. at least. Yeah, and one yeah. of them is for, is for parenting because yeah. raising conscious, oh. respectful children, it's called Alpha Dogs and Mama Bears. It's in progress. And it's how to raise conscious, respectful kids. I'm going to have you co-host with me when we do, I have a, a teen, not a, well, she's not a teenager anymore, but she used to nanny. Mm. And her book that she's developing, her course that she's developing is based along these lines. So that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So um, still though. I didn't answer your question. Yeah. What the inspired book. you? Yeah. Here's one of the books yeah. that, and, and, for my private clients, I offered mm -hmm. a curated experience for them because mm -hmm. they pay a lot of money to work with me. And so one of the things I do is sort of their conscious concierge, if you will, consciousness concierge, is I curate a book list for the every, every month they get another book that is um, coherent. It is organized with their level where they're at in, in their cycle with me. And the, almost always the first book I recommend for everybody is a book called Dying to Be Me by mm. Anita Morjani. This is a near-death experience uh, recollection that will inspire you in ways you didn't know you needed to be inspired. That is very interesting. You want to know about the universe and the, and the, the, the reality of, of consciousness, what it means to be living on this planet? and the parents who drive you crazy, and the power to make yourself sick and heal, read that book or listen to it. Well, yeah, read it. Don't listen read, to it. It. read it. Yeah, read it. I listen to it on audio, on Audible. But uh, yeah, it will help you understand the nature of life on this planet and consciousness. It is, and it is through, from a very human perspective, and it's 100% real. Okay, okay. So there's a book, Dying to Be Me, that, that I think we should look at. And then this was this will be the kind of final question for you. How are you helping? Because you, you can't do all the help, all the work you can, mm. unless you work with other transformational coaches. Indeed. How are you doing that? I find that transformational coaches like myself, and we're a mm -hmm. special breed. I mean, listen, yes. like because people who help with finances, like that's their thing. People who help with 
organizational communication, that's their thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What we do as transformational coaches is work at the soul level. We are right. working with epigenetics. We are working with neuroplasticity. We're working with your roots, with your past, with your, your DNA yeah. inheritance. Yeah, so we are a special yeah. bunch, man. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to be that kind of leader. One of my clients called me a spiritual Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> so that's well, what we're doing, man. We're helping you up the mountain. We know the way. So, and we've learned the way through mm -hmm, our own mm -hmm. evolution. So the way that I'm helping these, these coaches, because they are so deeply needed, especially now. So many people are awakening and don't know what to do. <clears throat> transformational coaches typically have had their own awakening and they're very clear on how they're creating their reality and they can help their clients do this. So that's the, those are the people that I'm with whom I'm working. They still have many of them unresolved uh, issues from their family of origin that are blocking them from showing up as the sovereign leader they need to be in order to create a safe space for the people uh, they want to serve. So what, what I'm helping them do is be world-class CEOs of their own thoughts, beliefs, and emotions, help them unwind their money mindset issues. Cause a lot of them, because, well, listen, we're altruistic and we're also business people. It is a very strange place to live. I believe everybody should get to have, you know, have like everything for free. You, healing is a birthright. Then again, we live in a, in a culture where when people pay money, they actually do the work. <laughs> the right, bottom right, line is right, people right, pay right. to pay attention. <clears throat> I have right. to charge. It's, it, I mean, one of it, I definitely deserve to get paid for what I do. I really value my work. I value the services and the, and the results that I provide. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> a lot of people who come from my background and or are in working in my, in my realm, they really struggle with this. They feel guilt and shame around charging the, at the level that they need to be charging for people to show up and do this very challenging work. I've had people walk away from five-figure fees, Glenn, because the work got too hard. You know what that told me? It should have been a six-figure fee. Yeah. Because that work needed to happen for that person and the money wasn't important. It's, the fear got bigger right. than the money. I'm like, I needed to charge you more money. So that's a lot what the money is about. They don't know how to reconcile that because they are they're empaths, they're intuits, they're, they know, they understand the nature of consciousness and, and why they're here. So I help them discover their own value. I help them understand and, and stand in their authority in their particular oh. lane. That's really important. If you want people to surrender to you, you need to be strong and you cannot be judgmental. So I help them unwind some of the places where they're judging themselves because they'll pass that along completely unconsciously to their clients. Mm. So I help them unwind that self-judgment. I help them uh, understand how to be the authority of themselves so they wow. can pass that along to wow. their clients. Yeah. We were talking about that just the other day for hypnotherapists. Yeah. You have to unwind. You have to be set to do that. All right, so you're helping people do this. Do you have online classes that you're teaching and sharing with them, or do you have group coaching sessions? Uh, if you have transformational coaches who tuned in and said, hey, I want you to be my coach. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you need coaches. I have a spiritual coach. I have a financial coach. I have a business coach. I have a marketing coach. I have coaches, okay? 
And if you're going to get someplace where we want to go to, you got to have a coach. So mm -hmm. there's got to be some people out there listening saying, well, how do I work with you? Tell us. There's a couple ways. I have a free gift that I offer transformational coaches so they can get a sense of how I work mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I want to be super clear. I don't work with everybody. Not everybody's ready to work at the level that I operate. And yeah. <clears throat> if you're not, and so what I would say is they're not ready yet. Yes. So I'm yeah. extremely picky. And one of the ways that I, I uh, help people identify whether or not they'd be a good fit for me is mm -hmm. to consume my free gift. It's called uh, the cause and effect business model, not cause and effect, cause and effect. It's just what we're saying about creating reality. And it's uh, on my website, which is mytransformationalcoach.com forward slash effortless. And you'll get this, uh, I think it's like a 30 minute video about the, how the, the transformational coaching business model is different than conventional business model because of the nature of the work that we do and help these coaches feel like, oh, I'm not crazy. <laughs> Conventional sales do not work for me. Like uh, the, the mindset piece is so important. So I help transformational coaches. I introduce them to the business model that I use to build my six figure business in my first year, like coming from nowhere with no email mm -hmm. list, nothing. Right, so right, right, I got right, very right. successful because of this list. Yes. And yeah. I went, I started charging five figures for my time within just a few months because I was seeing how powerful the value. They, yeah, exactly. So, so give us that website again. Sure. It's mytransformationalcoach.com forward mm -hmm. slash effortless. And the other place, uh, well, and my info is on there. Like my team, they can just reach out to my team info at soulful leader. My, yeah, all my info's on there. So they can reach out to my team if they want to connect with me. And the other place that I would love for them to come find me, is the first three Wednesdays of the month, I have a show on Instagram called The Free Lunch Live. Free lunch is real, everybody. At 12.30 p.m. PDT, I go live and I answer questions from my community. So if and I can't tell you how many people have found me there and then hired me as their coach. And the thing I love about it, Glenn, it's like, you know how sprinters, they need to like run stairs and things like this to get in shape? Mm -hmm. It is like running stairs as a coach because a lot of these Instagram handles, they're not they're I, I don't know their background. I don't know if they're male or female. I don't know how old they are. I got nothing. I, they're just a human. And then they ask me a question and then I get to re reflect to them. I get to like reach in, like really like flex that intuition to help them. Oh my gosh. It is such a thrill. I love it. And, um, and I'll actually put, I'll put in the, um, if I can find it, it's at soulful leader. That's my handle. I'm not sure where my cursor is. I'm afraid to like click it right now. Okay. There it is. So I want to put in the chat for you just so you can see how it's spelled at soulful leader. I think I got that. That's my handle on Instagram. And I also do a lot of posting on YouTube. So come and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm putting up like a video or two a week and it's all tools and practices. Make sure I spelled that right. Soulful leader. Yeah, I got it. Oh, good. I know how to spell my own signature program. Yeah. So, uh, and the other way that uh, if people Make are, sure I spelled it right. <laughs> right? Like I, 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 you know, I've got a word smash there. I currently, so my, my private program is sold out right now. It's a, it's a six month program. It's my high touch, high end program. 
and I only work with about five people at a time, that's sold out. But I have a lower touch, lower, it's a fraction of the cost actually for transformational coaches because I really, I really want them to get the information and be able to apply it fast. So I have a seven day, a seven week, do it yourself, effortless enrollment bootcamp. And if anybody wants information about that, just go to the website and uh, email my team. And that is a, it's an evergreen. You just, uh, subs- you, you, um, you get access to my online academy and you do it at your own pace and it's yours forever. And it will help you unwind your money mindset and learn how to mentor people when, when you're on your enrollment calls, but you never, ever sell. I've never sold. I refuse. I'm just too, I'm like, ah, it's gross. I don't like it. And I listen, people who love sales, I love mm. it for them. I love mm. it for them. I'm not into it. I'm not into the hunt. I'm not into the kill. I'm into partnership and celebration. No, That's what my, I'm into. My coach has really hammers into me. Selling is not you. Mm-hmm. If you need to sell somebody, then you're cutting yourself off from finances. Yeah. You know, six, seven figure incomes don't come from people who know how to sell. They come from people who know how to attract the right business. That's right. So, uh, you know, um, we're going to do this again. I promise. I, I promise every listener uh, because we have a lot to cover, and it's the mindset that's going to make the CEO great. Okay, the CEO probably got kind of wrapped up into this and thinking this is how it's going to work in my personal life for the CFO or the senior level person, but these things apply to your company. Okay, yeah, they apply to your personal life, but if you want to change the culture of your company, Marvel just told you. Okay, now you know how to go do it. That's right. Okay, uh, time. But let me just ask ask you one other thing. Do it. What questions did I not ask you that you wish I would have asked you? I think you're... The the piece about radical personal accountability was really, really important. Oh, yeah. I cannot begin to tell you my uh, mentor just put me through a four week session on the um, the four agreements. Mm. And that last, uh, well, not the last agreement, holding yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. No, the highest, best thoughts all the time. That's the first agreement. Highest, best thoughts all the time. You're going to hold yourself to having that. As soon as you get out of that, you pounce back into it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree with that responsibility radical responsibility for yourself is important but that's that's not my question my question is what did i miss so okay here's okay here's i don't think that you missed anything i think that there's a question that might be helpful for people mm-hmm. yes here it is my intuition just spoke okay the question is and this is a question that you you could ask me but most because you are you share this with me mm-hmm. um can you tell me a little bit about the cancer experience? Right? What what no. was the what was cancer what was the cancer experience like? And the reason that I like this question and most people are reluctant to ask about it, which is why I have to offer it is because I have a completely different perspective about cancer. And well one 
I gave it to myself. I opened the door for it. I didn't, uh, not consciously, not on purpose. Good Lord. Right, right. But, do it on purpose, but I didn't do it on purpose, but I totally saw my fingerprints all over that diagnosis. It was me. And when something like that happens, the moment we can shift our, our understanding about it from this happened to me to this happened for me. Now, when I work with people, I take them one step further, which is why not everybody's ready to work with me. I'm going to take you into the, this happened by me. Oh, okay. There's, guess who brought it for me? Me. And this is the infinity loop that trips a lot of people up. Oh, keyword. Keywords. Infinity loop that trips you up. Because that's key, key. Yes, I, I wanted to. I would. Lo- I wanted to just touch on this briefly because I think it was. Oh, who was it? Lou. Who was the name? That that famous coach. Oh, I can't remember. Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz, yeah. who said, "You know, it's life is ten percent of what happens to you, and 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 it's ninety eight percent of how you interpret it." You know, cancer is considered like one of those awful, oh no, not that like everybody's terrified of it. And and I understand and a lot of people have died from it. So I, I don't mean to make light or of that or diminish the loss that people felt when they lost loved ones. That's their experience. And I honor that. I also honor my experience, which yeah. was amazing. It taught me everything I needed to know about surrendering to something bigger than myself and open the door for this entire business, my success and my privilege to witness people changing their DNA, shifting their mindsets, letting go of old agreements. I mean, it opened the door for my greatest honor and for me to live in my purpose. Cancer saved my life and it was a huge gift. And I'm so glad that I gave it to myself. I don't need to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to do it again, Glenn. Just yeah, like you and yeah. me are like, my yeah. oncologist is like, you know, we're going to give you some information about, you know, reoccurrence. I'm like, yeah, keep it. It's not an apply yeah. to me. And it's, I'm not in denial. Yeah. It's just like, I'm not even that person. I've forgotten yes. who she is. You know, it, it sounds like that you kind of like that person, you know, there's two people walking down the street and one person's going to see all the negative. You're that person doesn't, what? I don't see that negative. I see the, I don't see it. You know, people look constantly, and I would ask about that only in private because that is a place that I think only, to be honest, two cancer survivors can understand. Sure. Okay. But could be, that's a powerful lesson because when you said not for me, but by me, I mean, that's part of the cycle. By your infinite wisdom, what are you going to do with it? And you have taken it. That's right. Well, and and the reason I wanted to bring it up is it doesn't matter what the story is. Mm -hmm. Cancer, divorce, uh, bankruptcy, death in the family, natural Mm -hmm. disaster. It doesn't matter what the story is. It is not happening to you. It is happening for you, by you. And what are you going to do with it? How do you want to look at it? How do you want to look at it? Right. This is this is why I wanted to bring it up. Because it doesn't matter what happens for you. The only thing that matters is what you do with it. That is that radical personal accountability. This is how we change culture. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. Such a powerful, powerful day. 
you have a hard stop, I understand, and I do. I don't, but uh, I'm gonna ah. let you get to it. I'm gonna let you get to <laughs> All it. All right, next time I'm <laughs> just giving up. you the afternoon, Glenn, yeah. and we're gonna get some cocktails, and we're just gonna and do gonna a live happy hour. Yeah. That's right. We're just gonna work it out. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's brilliant, actually. Why don't we do? Why don't we do a cocktail hour sometime? I would love to. Are you kidding me? An excuse to talk to you and have a drink? Come on. That works. <laughs> I'm good for that. That works. Done. We're gonna do that. Brilliant. Okay, we're going to do that. Okay, and let people join in if they want to. That's, That's right. Happy yeah. part. Plenty more. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And then you know what? We'll, we'll do that and we'll let people know what university we're talking about. That's being right. the best. But for now, that's your teaser to come back. That's right. Thank you so very much. I appreciate everything you brought to the table. We've got a lot more to bring to the table, though. So Indeed. thank you. Thank you so much, Glenn. Okay.